Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning. And the top story this morning is that Reuters reported that Governor DeSantis will likely file paperwork declaring his candidacy for president on May 25th to coincide with a donor meeting in Miami with a more formal launch the week of May 29th, according to a source. So uh, this really isn't anything that we haven't been anticipating, but we are potentially getting some possible indication of dates and uh, maybe a little bit earlier than some of us expected. And of course, the uh, the Trump world side is melting down a little bit because uh, their influencers have really tried to bully uh, Governor DeSantis from not entering the race and have been trying to use all of these polls to suggest that uh, the primary is over and it's absolutely Absolutely certain for President Trump and whether or not you support President Trump or Ron DeSantis or someone else, this is an open primary in the United States of America. And I frankly would be very grateful to see Governor DeSantis not being bullied. So I uh, here to talk about all of this and more is my good friend and former Trump world colleague, uh, Steve Cortez, who is now part of the Never Back Down PAC, which is encouraging Governor Ron DeSantis to run for president. So uh, good morning, Steve, and thanks so much for joining me today. Jenna, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I was, um, I, you know, I texted you right after uh, I saw the news that you were uh, endorsing Governor DeSantis and, you know, and said, you know, this is great and I'm happy to see uh, you part of the Never Back Down PAC. So, um, so for people who aren't aware of kind of the history of uh, your support of President Trump and now this uh, this transition to Governor DeSantis. Walk me through your rationale and why, um, as a once former Trump supporter, you are now endorsing Governor DeSantis. Absolutely, and you know, and, and let me just preface it by saying, not an easy decision for me to make uh, because you know, like you, I advocated strenuously for President Trump for years. Uh, for most of the last seven years, my professional life has really been dominated by advocating in media for Trump and for the America First movement. I view this as the next natural evolution, though, of that movement. And what I mean by that is I think we have to take a, a realistic and honest look at recent election losses, particularly the cycles of 2018, 2020, and then 2022, at least 2022 relative to expectations. Um, we are losing elections, and as a consequence, this country, which is a center-right country, I think all you know, polling and evidence shows us that, it's not being governed that way. It's being governed as if it's a far leftist radical place, like the entire country is Berkeley, California, because we are losing what are eminently winnable elections. Now, I don't think our agenda is wrong, our agenda of conservatism, of, of patriotic populism. I think that our tactics, and in many cases, our leadership is wrong. So let's change them. I, I do not want to continue to lose. And then on the positive side, you know, what's the outlier to that losing? Well, it's the state of Florida broadly, and it's Ron DeSantis specifically. You know, he took a state that was very much a swing state. You know, it's almost almost the, the archetype swing state for many decades was Florida, and he has turned it ruby red. You know how through incredibly competent conservative governance. 
He, he was rewarded by the people of Florida after very narrowly winning that office in 2018 with a almost 20% just runaway landslide victory four years later. To me, that is the blueprint. That is the, the blueprint for both how to govern effectively from the right, how to win elections massively, how to reach constituencies who you didn't previously win over. For example, one of the reasons he soared to victory is Miami-Dade County, the biggest county in Florida. One in 10 Floridians live there around the Miami area. Uh, he lost that by 18 percent. Excuse me, he lost that by 21 percent in 2018, and which, by the way, typical Republicans generally get clobbered in those urban and suburban areas. Well, he swung all the way to winning Miami-Dade by 10 percent just four years later. You know, Jenna, as a political expert and campaign operative, swinging 31 points in a, in a densely populated county in four years is, is almost unheard of. Um, so that kind of rising star status and success tells me that he is the most electable, most conservative candidate for president. Um, and again, not an easy decision for me because I've, I've been so close with President Trump, but I want what's best for the country. You know, and I've taken a lot of flack that I'm not being loyal to Trump. Well, Jenna, I'm loyal to America, and I am never personally loyal to any politician. I'm not, not a permanent way, right? And I, per, I, I uh, can, I'm convinced right now that the best candidate to lead this movement, to win, and to then govern effectively in the White House is Ron DeSantis. And Steve Cortez, you know, as you're outlining this, I think for a lot of people, they're following a very rational, coherent argument for why Ron DeSantis is the future. And in fact, um, Huffington Post politics, even just yesterday, uh, this was the headline. The Florida governor is more informed, tactical and calculated, which makes him way more dangerous than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, the left even is so scared of Governor DeSantis's style of leadership. And from what I have been hearing as well, and, you know, as someone that that you mentioned has also very ardently advocated for President Trump, has worked for him, um, you know, has has a personal friendship with him and his family. um, You know, the the people who are still in the Trump camp largely, I believe, are doing so out of emotional support for the person, not necessarily a rational, cohesive argument for why he can win a general election election against Joe Biden or another Democrat. And so I'm happy to hear you say that even though, you know, this is a difficult decision, we need to always be focused on what is good for America and be loyal to the country over someone else and or you know, over some some individual person or politician. So, you know, how right. how would you suggest and encourage people who are listening to this show right now who um who our listener base is very informed, they they very much care about the country, um, about policy, all of these things, um, who who may have that feeling of loyalty toward Trump and thinking, uh, I, you know, I, I'm torn here. Sure. No, and by the way, listen, I absolutely understand that. And I, I was, like you, I was honored to work for President Trump and to play a role in that movement. I think he was absolutely the disruptor that we needed in 2016. I think there were some really significant successes. I also think there were a lot of really significant misses. I think we know we need to be rational and honest about it. And we, especially on the right, should always resist. While we can have great regard for him, we should always resist um, falling into a cult of personality. And I think to your point about a lot of people in Team Trump, they're showing an extremely emotional side rather than a rational assessment of what should happen. Now, for example, what I mean by that 
uh, are these calls that the primary is, you know, quote, over when Ron DeSantis hasn't even yet announced. Um, the idea that we would have a coronation uh, is not very American. They just had one over in England, but we revolted against that. We don't do coronations here. So Donald Trump, uh, if he fights and wins the nomination, then he will have earned it over a very worthy opponent in Ron DeSantis. But I think we are better for this as a movement and better for it as a country. We should have hotly contested primaries with really credible candidates. And what I would also say to folks who maybe I can't persuade to support Governor DeSantis uh, from Donald Trump, I would also say this. I do think it is a measure of the success of our movement that the two top candidates in the race are both patriotic populists. In other words, this is not the Bush Republicans. This is not the establishment Republicans. So I think it, it reflects the fact that at the voter level, we have thoroughly transformed the Republican Party into a party of cultural conservatism and economic populist nationalism. And that's a great thing. But I also think it's a great thing. It will make whoever wins the nomination, and I think it's really between these two, whichever one of them does, it's going to make them a far better general election candidate for having had that competition. You know, use a sports analogy. I mean, if you're getting ready for a big prize fight, you want the best sparring partners possible, right? That's going to prepare you for that for uh, fight night. That's effectively the same thing here politically. And uh, and a lot of folks who, you know, who pretend to be conservatives or at least are claiming to be conservatives who, who think that this should be a coronation, uh, you know, I guess one thing I would say is what are they afraid of? And to your point, too, about the leftist media, this is very fascinating. If you notice, leftist media largely is, is leaving Trump alone and very much going after Ron DeSantis. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one is Trump is great for clicks and eyeballs, right, because there's always a lot of craziness and chaos surrounding him, okay? So they want him because he's good for ratings and clicks. But number two, they don't believe he can win the general election. And I happen to agree with them, by the way. It's one of the few things I agree with the left-wing media about. He will not win the general election. Um, and I, I think he's the only Republican, as a matter of fact, who Joe Biden can beat because his negatives in polling are so much worse than any other uh, politician on the national level. So they don't want DeSantis because in DeSantis, what will they get? They will get a very disciplined candidate who might not give them the excitement and entertainment that they want, the leftist media. And I think they know, I think they're politically astute enough to know that Ron DeSantis will win. He'll win that general election and on top of that, follow through with the agenda. I think that's also so important. You know, let me give you a Specific example on that, Ron DeSantis just signed um, an incredibly pro-sovereignty immigration law in Florida. Now, immigration law generally is a federal issue, of course, but he's doing everything he can in Florida to make it very difficult to traffic people for illegal migrants to work. He's protecting American citizens in Florida, protecting sovereignty. He promised to do that, and he followed through on the promise. Look at the signature promise of Donald Trump. The signature promise of 2016 was to build a wall, which he did not do. Despite the fact that he had a Republican Congress for the first two years, he did not build a wall. If we had a wall in place right now, Joe Biden's recklessness and its total recklessness uh, at the border would not be as dangerous for this country if we, in fact, had the big, beautiful wall that we were promised. But we didn't get it. And I think we need, again, I think those of us who have great regard for President Trump, we need to be honest about those kinds of misses. And when I compare that record um, of a lot of talk, a lot of loud bluster, but not a lot of follow through and delivery, when I compare that to Ron DeSantis, who in many ways is the opposite, you know, sort of much more quiet, steady uh, agenda of promises and then absolutely methodical delivery and implementation on that agenda. When I compare those records uh, and when I look at the baggage that President Trump brings to the race, particularly for independents and moderates, maybe not for right wing folks, but for independents and moderates, when I look at that baggage that he brings, the personal baggage, and then I compare that to this young man. Um, with, with a gorgeous family, with an incredible track record, with, a, with a, a sterling resume, with an impressive life story, to me, that choice becomes somewhat, somewhat clear uh, that we should go for Ron DeSantis. 
Yeah, and, and Steve Cortez, as you are outlining this, um, I hope that this is encouraging and inspiring people to go through this kind of methodical checklist and actually compare the record of President Trump um, to the record of what Governor DeSantis has accomplished in Florida and actually make a more calculated decision on who is the best champion for America to actually implement policy rather than um, whose personality you like best or some or this this cult of personality or this kind of you know loyalty demarcation because that's really what I see everything that the Trump camp is running on this time is saying well you know basically you guys already have the MAGA hats so don't take them off right and that should never be American politics and so even if people make this analysis and they and their conclusion is well Trump accomplished enough that I'm going to support him again fine do that but do it in a way that's rational it's reasonable and it's honest about what he didn't accomplish as well because he is running as uh, as an outsider again and I don't think he's going to be able to do that on the primary debate stage and so in just the last few minutes I have with you Steve um, why do you think that President Trump doesn't want to get on that debate stage I think it's because he knows that DeSantis is going to exploit the record that he actually had over the last uh, four years of his administration I, I totally agree. And I think particularly on two issues, I, I named one of them already, which is which is the wall um, and you know, just a massive miss, a massive failure. Right. Uh, didn't follow through on the, the single signature promise of his previous campaign. I think the other issue where just where, the, again, the difference is stark uh, is COVID and, and management of COVID and Fauci. Ron DeSantis, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say in a lot of ways, saved America because he had the guts to stand up against the Trump White House, against Fauci, against the Biden White House and say Florida is going to be scientific. We're going to be rational about our approach to the virus. Our schools are going to be open. Our businesses will be open. Florida became the model. And then the entire country followed the state of Florida. So I think he also there can make an incredibly different uh, incredibly, incredibly differentiating argument in front of the country. And I think President Trump, frankly, is, is wary of that argument. But again, the idea that he thinks he should just saunter in, that it should be a coronation, I think is disrespectful to Republican voters, particularly when he's not an incumbent. Yes, he was president, but he's not now. He's not an incumbent. Um, and so I hope that we're going to have really stirring debates. And uh, no doubt they'll be raucous, uh, you know, if and when they do happen. Not if, they're going to happen. And, uh, and President Trump should participate. But uh, I also think this, just from a polling perspective, one quick point. If we look at the, the vast majority of Americans don't want this rematch. And all the polling shows that they don't want Biden versus Trump. Um, and if, if that is to be prevented, I think it's going to happen with Ron DeSantis. He's the solution to, to preventing that rematch. Yeah, well, Steve Cortez, really appreciate your insights. He's joining me on the podcast as well this afternoon to continue this conversation. You can find that at thejennaellisshow.com as well as Rumble. So, you know, we've got to continue to move forward as a country. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about the top story this morning that Reuters is reporting that Governor Ron DeSantis will file his paperwork for announcing his candidacy for the office of U.S. president as early as May 25th. Now, for some people that may be long incoming, as there are a lot of people that have uh, awaited this moment. And uh, I had Steve Cortez, who's with the Never Back Down PAC uh, that was founded by Ken Cuccinelli, uh, both former 
former uh, Trump advisors, and uh, Ken Cuccinelli was uh, part of the Trump administration. Steve Cortez was part of the 2016 and 2020 campaign. I got to know Steve really well as he and I were colleagues on the Trump 2020 campaign, and they are both now with the Never Back Down PAC that is encouraging Ron DeSantis to run for president. And, um, and you know, we have these conversations on this show, and I've gotten a lot of people that have written in um, to, to, to say, you know, we appreciate these conversations, and I know that a lot of you are very um, ardently either pro-Trump or ardently pro-DeSantis, and I want to continue to have people on uh, from both sides. We had Liz Harrington, Trump's uh, spokeswoman, on yesterday morning because we need to continue to have this conversation until we all actually go and vote in the primary. It's so important, as Steve Cortez said, this isn't a coronation in the United States of America. I have long been an advocate of uh, primaries in this context that President Trump, if he earns the nomination, absolutely, I will vote for him. I'll vote for whoever the GOP nomination is, is certainly better than the Democrats. But I think that an open primary as part of our system, we need to understand why it's in place and allow for that process to continue and genuinely ask ourselves the question, who will be the best advocate moving forward, not only for the country, but who has the best opportunity to win a general election? And what I have seen largely from a lot of um, people you know, on social media, even people who've written into this show, um, and a lot of other places, is that really the argument for President Trump has come down more to emotion. And he himself has asked for loyalty, right? And that is more of an emotional personality rationale than it is kind of a methodical assessment of policy. And I think as conservatives, and especially as Christians, we need to do better than that. And even if President Trump doesn't necessarily hold that up, he does have a lot of policy that we can look to. He does have a record. And Ron DeSantis has a record in the state of Florida. And whether we think he can do that under a Florida blueprint blueprint for the entire country is the question. And we need to reasonably assess both of these candidates as well as other candidates, including Vivek Ramaswamy. We need to uh, look at everyone who is running and say, our system allows us the blessing of liberty to select and prefer the best leader for the United States of America. And if you were a former Trump supporter and you are now picking Ron DeSantis, that is okay. That is not saying that you hate President Trump, that you don't appreciate him, that you don't have loyalty to him. It is okay to vote for another leader. And if you are someone who is still supporting President Trump, that is also okay. What I'm encouraging is to do that in a reasoned manner as a voter and as someone who is using our access to the franchise of elections as a blessing of liberty in the best, most conservative, and ultimately the most Christian way. We need to fulfill our opportunity and our responsibility and duty to America as good citizens, and in fact, for our Lord, who has given us the opportunity to live under the blessings of liberty in America, we need to use that responsibility to the best of our ability. So I want to bring in now my next guest, um, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who was formerly a U.S. Congress member from the great state of Florida. And um, Alan, I always love having you on the program to talk about policy, talk about the Christian worldview, all of these things. And so 
I want to first um, get your reaction as well to this pending announcement that all of us have been anticipating that uh, Governor DeSantis will enter the race and, um, and and talk first about kind of this this primary clash and how we as Christians need to view our responsibility to vote. Well, it's good to be with you, Jenna. And of course, everyone knew that this was going to be coming. And now that the legislative session is over in Florida, I guess now the governor can really focus on being a, a national level uh, candidate, and uh, we we expected this to come. Uh, and I think it's so important that we do have this primary process. And the thing that I want everyone to focus on is not about loyalty to a person or loyalty to a party, but it's loyalty to our fundamental principles and values. Uh, you know, those of us in the military took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And I think that the person that can best articulate constitutional government governance and restoring our constitutional republic, uh, that should be the one that we should select and say, into the arena against the progressive socialist left. And Christians, the body of Christ has an incredible responsibility. Uh, We continue to believe that for some odd reason, we're not supposed to participate in you know, electoral politics, but we should. We should be out there looking for righteous governance and not just any type of governance, uh, and especially the governance that will honor the very first liberty that we have in our Bill of Rights, which is the freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof. We're facing some very big challenges, and when you look at some of the things that the leftists want to do to our children, uh, I can only classify that as a very dark evil, and we've got to have people that will stand up against it. Psalm 11 and 3 says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Well, the righteous need to get engaged and let their voices be heard through the ballot box. So well said and such a great encouragement and admonishment to Christians that we need to continue to see our participation in civil society and in the political process um, as we have it here in a constitutional republic as part of our living out our Christian life. And I and I, I saw this even back in 2016, Alan, when I was very first um, a an advocate for President Trump. I moved over from being on you know team uh, Ted Cruz. And when I heard President Trump speak in 2016. It's like this is the the guy that has the vision, and he's the one that will take um, America best um, in that capacity as president. And of course, you know, back then it was this whole: how can you possibly be a Christian and support Donald Trump? And you know, now it's like: how can you possibly be a Christian and not support Trump? I think is the question a lot of people are asking. Those like Steve Cortez that have moved over to the DeSantis camp. And again, I have not endorsed, nor um, am I going to personally endorse anyone in this race. And of course, um, AFR is a network since we're a nonprofit, don't make endorsements. So just want to let everybody know that. But um, but in terms of being a Christian and supporting the best candidate, what I said then in 2016 was, listen, I'm not endorsing all of the behaviors and personalities and mistakes and, you know, other things of the person of Donald Trump, just like, you know, DeSantis isn't a perfect person either. And and I and I think it's a yeah. huge mistake to say that we can't, as Christians, participate in politics or vote for someone who isn't literally Jesus Christ himself. Right. And so we have to <laughs> yeah. step back and say, I mean, and I'm convinced there are some there are some Christians out there that wouldn't even vote for Jesus if he was on the ballot. Right. Because they have this kind of this this focus that I think is so out of focus to say that politics is too dirty and we cannot possibly participate. And that's just such the wrong view. 
Yeah, it is a wrong view because what ends up happening is you will allow people that will rise up into positions of electoral leadership that will take away your rights, freedoms, and liberties. We saw that happen when you know, COVID, uh, McDonald's was open, uh, Home Depot was open, but yet they were telling churches they need to shut down. And so if you don't have those type of individuals in those positions, they will make decisions that violate your constitutional rights. But I think another thing we need to realize is when you go back into the Old Testament, God moved upon the hearts of Xerxes and, and Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you, you don't know who God will move uh, in, in their heart. And so for us to believe that we know better than God, uh, I think that that's a very dangerous premise, but we've got to make sure that, as, it's, uh, as it was said in Joshua, that the book of the law, we shall not turn from it from the right or to the left, and we shall meditate upon it day and night. That's not just the Bible, but it's also the Constitution, and we need to understand the Constitution and vote for those biblical principles and values and those people that will support and honor our Constitution. So I think those are the preeminent things that the body of Christ needs to be looking at, uh, and not just be so you know myopic in their focus and not just continue to say, you know, I'm just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and I'm not going to be involved. Uh, you may be waiting for Jesus to come back, but the the whole thing around you will be falling apart. And I think that's what we're seeing with this current administration. Right. And, and we do need to continue to fulfill the Great Commission until the return of Jesus Christ. And of course, all of us are patiently ex- uh, expecting and waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior. But we have work to do in the meantime, and we do mm-hmm. need to participate in our civil society. And as you mentioned, you know, the U.S. Constitution, you know, this, a, a lot of people will say, you know, oh, this is such a sacred document and all of these things. Well, it's brilliant because of how it separates and restricts and limits the powers of government. And so, you know, as mm-hmm. we look to the Bible and we see, you know, that actually the best form of government isn't a constitutional republic. It is a monarchy under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we live in eternity, we will have King Jesus. That is the best form of government possible. Uh, but while we are still awaiting um, the etern- the eternity that will be with Christ, then we have, unfortunately, um, human beings that run our government. And it is an institution that is ordained and established by God, our civil government. And so our founders, in their brilliance, understood the human condition as evil, that we are fallen. And so they separated and limited powers of government so that we don't get to petty kings and tyrants and people that are acting, frankly, a lot like the Biden administration that just want to run out and run over our civil liberties. And so we need to understand that document. We need to understand how our civil society is supposed to work in the best form possible and then understand how our constitution operates and then what we can do as citizens on the state and local level voting in the federal government um, elections to make sure that we continue to be able to exercise our freedoms. And I think, Alan West, with that kind of more broad view, we get out of this bashing back and forth between Trump and DeSantis and this kind of cult of personality, and we can take a step back and say, how do we engage our elections, our governments, um, and, and these offices in the most Um, Christian way possible to enforce limited government. And that should be the goal, not to say, okay, what train am I on? You know, DeSantis or Trump or 
um, or, or what hat am I wearing? I mean, we need to be good stewards of the blessings of liberty that God has ordained. No, you're absolutely right. Instead of worrying about what uh, respective personality camp you're in, you should be worried about the camp of, num- number one, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then also the camp of this uh, constitutional republic. And so I would encourage people that are out there listening to your show to go back and read about the natural rights theory of John Locke, who was the father of classical liberalism and came up with the idea that our life, our liberty, our property, those are the rights that are endowed to us by our Creator God, not by a government. That was a very revolutionary thought, and that's what Thomas Jefferson read. I would admonish people to read uh, Montesquieu, The Spirit of the Laws, to understand how we came up with these three branches of government and their respective duties and responsibilities. And then also uh, go out there, and I know that you love this guy, Frederick Bastiat, the law that talks about the responsibility (laughs) of government to protect our life, liberty, and property. And so we need to understand these basic fundamentals and premises. And we also need to realize what it says in Romans uh, 12 and 2, I believe, where it says that we're not supposed to conform to the world, but we're supposed to transform it through the renewing of our minds. Uh, and that is, you know, Paul was saying to us as Christians, uh, or writing to the Romans uh, in that case. So that's what we need to, to be doing, and uh, I think that we will be better informed, better educated, and better activated voters to go out there and participate in this electoral system. Yeah, very well said. And I would I would add to your great list of reading recommendations as well, uh, the Federalist Papers that, you know, of course, yep. were by um, by three lawyers, uh, our first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, and then uh, James Madison and Alexander Hamilton that promoted the ratification mm-hmm. of the U.S. Constitution in its then form so that you understand the, the rationale and the policy viewpoint of our founders that promoted uh, the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. And your point Alan West to say that you know we do need to um, to meditate on the things of Christ, and then we also need to be educated and and in a sense meditate on um, the Constitution, the philosophy. You know those things. That's that's what I did in law school, right? Is to understand yeah. substantively. Uh, what our form of government is, how the law works and functions in any civil society, but specifically in our American society, and how we can use the tools at our disposal to create a more perfect union and to ultimately protect and preserve the blessings of liberty. Why? So that we can go out and we can promote truth in our society and the truth of God. That's why we have freedom of speech and religious liberty protection, so that we can exercise our faith in a civil society. So, you know, as we are looking at the U.S. Constitution, and we need to understand it better so that we understand how our role as citizens works in America and how the left is getting so far off track. Because one of the things that, that I've been so just laughing at, but also frustrated with, with a lot of the Democrats, like when Speaker Pelosi was the speaker, when she would just go out and whatever Republicans suggested and President Trump was doing, that's unconstitutional. And then all of these wild assessments of things that you know she really wanted to do that actually were unconstitutional, oh, that's totally fine because she'd manipulate the language. And so we have to understand what defines constitutional versus unconstitutional. Well, it's like if you're playing a board game. What breaks a rule or not? Well, it depends on the rules of the game. The Constitution is our rule book. It's not just whatever partisan policy platform we happen
happen to prefer. So we have to take a break here, but we'll be right back with more with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West to discuss more about the philosophy of the Constitution engaging as good citizens of America so that we are also good citizens of our kingdom. And uh, we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And I am uh, discussing the news this morning that DeSantis is likely to file his paperwork on May 25th uh, for entering the presidential context and how contest rather and how we as Christians need to view the primary and uh, and all this kind of back and forth you know between um, Trump and DeSantis it's kind of mainly coming from Trump right now but DeSantis will have to decide how he wants to engage uh, all of all of uh, Trump's kind of attacks there when he does enter the race so how how do we as Christians view the primary and also view our engagement in civil government in a way that is biblical and taking the things of the Bible that we learn about being engaged citizens, promoting the truth of the gospel of Christ in our civil society, truth in society is the definition of politics, and taking that and applying it to our daily lives. That's what biblical worldview analysis means, is to take the truth of God, take all of those uh, principles, the precepts, the character and nature of God as the person of truth, and then to live that out in our lives and to apply those things uh, to all of our facets of civil society, including politics, but not just politics. It's in every philosophy and study um, in our lives and everything that we do. I mean, there is a biblical worldview of every philosophy of every subject matter that we as humans can study. So how do we properly engage? And you know, as we look at the U.S. Constitution, Alan West, and, and what you were so wisely saying in the last segment was that we do need to meditate on that in the sense of um, understanding it and to learn about it more and to understand how it works so that when we see these, you know, quick media um, headlines and, and these news hits and things, that we can then immediately understand how to analyze it from a constitutional perspective and also a biblical perspective. If we don't know what the Bible says, then when someone comes and says, well, this is uh, this is Christian, this is biblical, this is what Jesus would do. If we don't understand the person of God as he reveals himself in the Bible, then we may be misled because we don't have a standard by which we can compare and contrast and say, is that accurate? So as we um, move forward as a society and as America um, into the 2024 uh, presidential election, let's talk um, for, for these last few minutes that we have here about policy and about um, the America as it should be, not how the leftists are trying to tear down institutions. And, you know, one of the things that you've been um, a, a huge champion for, Alan West, um, has been, you know, controlling the border and making sure that um, the invasion that is going on uh, down at the Texas border and, you know, of course, all of the border states in our country um, it is curbed and that we as a society uh, make sure that we protect and preserve America, uh, American 
homes first. And so as a policy matter, um, I think a lot of people look at things like this, and we'll just take the border as an example, and say, well, you know, how, how does that really relate to the Constitution? And so how do people need to understand what's going on um, at the border and how we need to apply the U.S. Constitution to our principles of conservative policy? Well, first and foremost, you go back to Genesis and you see that God laid out the boundaries for Israel and what they would be. And so God respects uh, national boundaries and borders, and he understands that they need to be protected. Uh, The second thing that you have to come to understand is that in the Constitution, there is a thing called the Guarantee Clause, and that's Article 4, Section 4. And it says two things that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union. Number one is a Republican form of government, not Republican Party, but a Republican form government because the, the, the America is a republic, not a democracy. And, and I think, again, that's where people need to get educated. But the second thing is that uh, they're supposed to protect every state in the union from invasion. When you're having five, six, seven million people illegally come across your border, that means that the federal government is not uh, abiding by what the Constitution says. Now, if that being the case, then Article 1, Section 10, Clause number 3 of the Constitution says exactly what states can do uh, if actually invaded when they are in imminent danger, when you look at the drug, the human, the sex trafficking crisis, the child sex exploitation crisis that we're facing, yes, we're in imminent danger, and they can uh, take action without any admit of delay. So from a biblical perspective, there you have it. Uh, From a uh, constitutional perspective, there you have it, that uh, our federal government and our states are supposed to be protecting us from illegal incursions. There are two ways to enter the United States of America. One is the one that we like, that's legal immigration. The other is the one we don't like, that's illegal immigration, that's unlawful, it's unconstitutional. Uh, And there are so many people that try to say, well, you Christians are just mean and bad. You should allow people to come into the country and do what they wish. Well, you know, I don't allow everyone to come into my house. Uh, you have to be invited to come into my house. And uh, when you are invited, I will take care of you and provide you whatever sustenance. So we have borders that have to be protected. We have a country and a republic that has to be protected and defended. God understands that, and people should abide by the law, not just think that we have this open border. Yeah, and so well said and so well articulated. And we need to, as Christians and as conservatives, be able to, in any policy that we are advocating for or that we are going against, have those arguments at the ready because we need to all be informed citizens. And even if you are listening to this show and your your line of work or your vocation is in something totally other than politics, um, first, you probably have a happier life than most people in D.C., so good for you. But, um, But also, you, you, that should not stop you from being informed and engaged as a good citizen by understanding and being uh, educated in the things of politics and in the U.S. Constitution. And you know, one of the other things, Alan West, that um, that I've seen conservatives, you know, because largely we all agree on uh, protecting the border and um, that we're for legal immigration for the people who go through our laws and our pathways. Um, but we are for citizenship, but we are against illegal immigration. And and that's not something mm-hmm. generally that conservatives argue about. But there are people who now who are so-called conservatives that are really arguing over the social issues. And, you know, what can the federal government do? What can the state level do? 
And how do we as Christians actually engage that? Um, I have been really, frankly, surprised to see that um, Caitlyn Jenner, who, of course, is the, um, you know, the transgender man is Bruce Jenner, Mm -hmm. um, who is now part of this whole wider MAGA movement, actually suggesting that conservatives and the GOP and the Republican Party need to be big tent and accept transgenderism into our law and policy if we want to win elections. And I have been surprised to see that a lot of Republicans who I don't think are Christians or don't don't even say that they are Christians are suggesting that, yeah, if we want to move forward as a party and we want to win elections, we have to be pro-transgenderism. And I just think that that's, uh, that's incredibly awful and absolutely yeah. unconstitutional for a lot of reasons. But your take. Well, well, it's very simple. You start off, God created, you know, Adam and Eve, male and female, man and woman. I mean, that's that pretty much so settles that from a biblical perspective. And if you want to now look at it from a secular perspective, anyone that uh, is confused about who they are and how they were born, that is called gender dysphoria. That's a mental condition. Uh, and the thing is, that it is not incumbent upon us to play in the sandbox of delusion of others. As a matter of fact, we should pray and we should uh, hope and believe that they will get the, the help that is necessary. And really what you're talking about is the secular uh, or the government belief, government with a little g, uh, that we as you know, human beings, we can reverse or we can change what God has uh, created, and that is man and woman. And we can redefine it, and we can be God, as a matter of fact. And so it's kind of like the uh, Tower of Babel, when they thought that they could build this tower and reach up and, and touch God and be just the same as God. And really, as part of the deception and the lie of the snake of Satan, when he told Adam and Eve, here, you know, you know, take the, the fruit from this tree, and you can eat, and you can be, you know, a God. You can have all the knowledge, and you can be just like God himself. And so that's a falsity, that's a lie, and I do not believe that we need to embrace a, uh, a, a delusion and a mental condition in order to expand a voter base. I think that we need to stick to our fundamental principles and values. Uh, we definitely don't need to have this child gender mutilation and puberty blockers and hormonal therapies for kids that can't even go out and get a tattoo if you're under 18. So why, how can they change uh, their, their, their body composition? And when history comes along thousands of years from now, they dig us up uh, and they look at our bones, the bones will say either you are male or female. It's not going to say anything else. So let's get back to the fundamentals and the basics. That's the biblical uh, perspective, and that's the secular perspective. This is a mental condition. We need to see it that way, and we need to pray and hope folks can uh, get the help that they need. Absolutely. And and, you know, this is one of the other things where Christians need to have the biblical worldview perspective, not only of this philosophy and this false ideology of transgenderism, but also the right and correct view of the institution of government as God ordained it, just like the institution of the family, for example. I mean, parents mm-hmm. who would um, who would bring their, you know, their children to drag queen story time or who would um, allow or even... Um, themselves decide for their children to have these kind of gender mutilation surgeries and things that is not being a parent in a biblical view and and in a biblical exercise of what the institution of the family is ordained for and so when we're talking about the institution of government there are a lot of christians who 
uh, would say, well, government is always bad. We just need to live and let live. And I want government to stay out of my business because I want to live and act however I think God wants me to. And so therefore, any restraints and restrictions and regulations that the government may impose Uh, that's always something that we need to combat against as conservatives. And I would push back on that and say, no, that's a false view of how God ordained government in civil society, because government is actually there for our good. And if we look at Romans 13 and how the government it carries the sword, is able to um, to deprive people of liberty after due process as our founders enshrined in our Bill of Rights, um, but also to restrict um, some other things and some other um, methods and, and exercises that I wouldn't characterize as liberty because liberty is not being libertine or being able to literally decide to do anything that you want as long as you're an adult. And that goes for yeah. the transgender movement as well. The government can and should restrict that as evil. Yeah, and see, this is the thing that I say. If, if you're an adult and, and that's something that you want to pursue, uh that go and pursue it, but that does not mean that we create any type of laws or special accommodations or things of that nature for, for you, uh, because you, you know the Constitution is not about behaviors; it's about these inalienable rights that we have: our life, our liberty, property, our pursuit of happiness. But the thing is, now when we have government trying to implement and institute an ideological agenda, when you look at how they're forcing this in our military, the DEI programs, diversity, equity, inclusion programs, all of these things, you know, this is pushing an ideological agenda. And furthermore, it is using taxpayer dollars to to do that. And I think that's where we have something that's wrong. And you know, having our kids go out and, and be uh, subjected to perverse actions of adults, I mean, that's contributing to the delinquency of a minor. And where's Child Protective Services? I mean, are we now at the point where we can take our, our children into a triple X bookstore or things of this nature? So, no, there, there are limitations. And this belief, and we've heard it from uh, Joe Biden, we've also heard it from Corinne Jean-Pierre, the uh, White House spokeswoman, that uh, our children are not ours. They belong to everybody. They belong to the government. I, I, I don't see where they get that from. So I think that there are some very important uh, rivers that the left is attempting to cross that gets away from understanding the right and proper role of the federal government or government, period. And that's why you got to go back and read some of those foundational documents to understand that the Constitution really does restrict the involvement and the engagement of the federal government. That's why the Tenth Amendment is so important. But if we don't understand these things, then we see more power over to the federal government, and they become the rulers of our lives. And that's not how it's intended to be here in the United States of America. We're supposed to be governed, not ruled. Yeah, so well said, Alan West. And, you know, this is also where we need to have a biblical view and understanding of the definition of liberty and the definition of freedom. It's not just the freedom and liberty to do whatever we want. It's freedom and liberty to do what we ought. And we are still governed by the laws of nature and of nature's God, as our founders very aptly put it, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't just go out and break the rules of nature without severe consequences. And some some things we just can't break. We are subject and confined to the reality of the universe as God has ordained it. And that includes being male and female. And and that's just not something that humans in our own capacity have any ability to change or to arbitrate. We may not like it in, in some ways, but that doesn't change the fact that we are not yeah. God. 
And so this is where we have to understand the limitations of um, of ourselves as human beings, understand who God is, and then also the laws of nature, and then how that works out into the laws of government, which is how we engage each other in a civil society. So, um, Alan West, so much well, more I could I talk think, with you I, about. I, yeah, go I, ahead, real quick. I think, last you know, I think you know the uh, Supreme Court justice who once said that your right to throw a punch stops at another person's nose. So, you know, you have certain rights, but you do not have the right to influence others. Yes. So well said. So well said. And uh, Alan West is the host of the Steadfast podcast. You can find that on his Substack. Follow him on social media. I follow him on Twitter and tend to retweet him a lot because he has a lot of great wisdom coming from a biblical worldview perspective. So thanks so much, my friend. We will talk uh, more tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. It will be a very happy Friday. (laughs) Talk soon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.